Hello, you're listening to Reb Brad and the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Sorry about the podcast being out a little bit late this week. It's been the perfect collision of a number of things. It's birthday week around my house with four of our six family birthdays happening this week. Uh, We're in the midst of a kitchen renovation we're taking on ourselves, so that's taking up quite a bit of time. And then my club teams had weekend and midweek games consecutively, so a lot on a little bit late here with the pod this week. Last week, I asked which headline from Euro 2020 grabbed you most, and I thought, right, that's done. Topic done, dusted, we'll move on. But in the wake of Euro 2020 and some of the events and issues surrounding the final, I've been stewing a bit. And let's just say I'm a bit bothered. To add to this, temps here in Colorado have been the 90s, almost approaching 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 35 to 37 Celsius for those of you around the globe. So stay tuned for half a minute and see what a rev who is hot and bothered sounds like. He's found the space and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post almost made him in and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're the angle of what a goal! What a goal! I have a few select podcasts that I listen to, and ever since the pandemic, my podcast listening habits have had to change as I'm driving solo in my car less and less. But the last couple of weeks have had me more back on the road and having caught up with the typical pods I listen to. I was driving back from the stadium ground yesterday and I thought, let me try out a different pod. So I scrolled through the Apple suggestions for me and I landed on the Men in Blazers podcast. It's a football podcast. It's fairly popular here in the U.S. and I've heard about it before. I think these guys have done some TV work, essentially two expat Englishmen. Uh, Raj and Davo. Raj is Roger Bennett and Davo is Michael Davies. They discuss all things football. And as I listened to the first part of the pod, I couldn't get past one of the comments made by Davies. As the two were sort of reviewing the violence and racial abuse which happened around the England-Italy Euro 2020 final, Davies shares with us that he's felt quite depressed around the racism that's happened. And then as he speaks specifically about the racist taunting of several of the English players, There's a sound of resignation in his voice, and he comments, I have no solution, so I feel it's pointless to talk about it. Now, to be fair, I don't think if put to the question, Michael Davies would say that racism is a pointless issue to talk about. I think what we're hearing here in this moment, in the context, is a person who's tired and fatigued by the ongoing burden, and I almost want to say saga, but that sounds like it's overly dramatic. I I just want to say that it sounds like there's a feeling that, as of late, there's sort of this, this sense that one step forward in a battle against racism and then two steps backward in a moment like these. And with all the moments of solidarity and, and the awareness and everything that's occurred the last year or so, all the attention and steps to bring change to the game, to bring change to issues of racism uh, locally and globally, and then you have this. To see and hear about the racial abuses happening uh, with the English team are disheartening, especially the online stuff, to say the least. And I think many people that I know will be wondering, have we really made any progress at all in the battle against racism and 
and all the other accompanying forms of abuse and mistreatment of people that we see and, and know about in our world and in our day and age. And especially for people who are in football, I think, and for fans of football, you see, we see and know the powerful platform that football offers. It is the beautiful game, as we call it. It is the global game, the world's game. But for all the power and money and influence and prestige in and around football, there's this primitive side in which things like racism continue to be a thing. And for many, we feel powerless to do anything against it. So today, and sorry it's taken me so long to get to it, I want to speak into this sense of frustration. And I want to call out what's going on with it, but I, but I also want to speak into what's even more troubling for me in the part of the little s- snippet that I caught from Devo, and that's um, the sense that he says, I have no solution. Now, let me be clear. I don't personally know Michael Davies. I had to do what everyone else does. I had to Google his name, find his Wikipedia page, and learn and read more about him. And, and his professional life in a snapshot, according to Wikipedia, which, again, is, is minor and small, but it, it reads this way. President and CEO of Embassy Row, a New York City-based television production company that's a unit of Sony Pictures Television. He's the executive producer of Wife Swap. He produced ESPN's Two Minute Drill, VH1's World Series of Pop Culture, CBS's Power of Ten, and the GSN Originals Chain Reaction, Grand Slam, and the revival of the Newlywed Game, as well as the U.S. version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. So Michael Davies is had uh, his fingers, he's been involved, he's, he's done some stuff, and, and he seems like a smart, powerful, influential person by virtue of some of these few sentences here. Now, maybe he's not the most powerful and influential person, but he, he likely runs in some circles where he's rubbing shoulders with at least the Hollywood elite and, and, and probably others too. And yet, he says, in, in a downhearted, disheartened moment, I have no solution. I imagine Davo's a person who's used to fixing problems and getting on with the show, so to speak. I tend to be a fixer too, so maybe he and I can appreciate some of those same sentiments, maybe not at the same levels, but uh, I, I understand the sense of frustration with not having a solution. When, when we've got a problem in front of us, and for me as a chaplain, as a pastor, the problem sometimes stems from relationships or things that I see in someone's marriage or in in other extensions of of one's faith and their relationship with God. When I see a problem, you know, I I tend to look for a solution. I want to fix. That's my tendency, maybe as a pastor, as a chaplain, maybe just even as a man. But friends, in as far as I know, there's only one true real solution to the issue of racism and its relative forms. And, and I think that we have been tempted and we've tried many different things to address the issue of racism. But the truth is, the answer is found, the solution is found only in the person of Jesus. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the human condition, how the world sees it, and why there's such a dissonance before coming back around to Jesus and him being the solution. Uh, first, you know, much of our world's been brought up with a worldview which says, in some part or in some form or fashion, that humanity is evolving constantly and getting better all the time. And certainly in some cases, I think we could be tempted to think that this is true, right? 
After all, we see people, especially in the first world, they they live longer. They have better medical care resources. We we diagnose things more quickly. We develop vaccines. We we're working on cures to things that that used to disable and and kill and destroy people so many years ago. And and we're doing other things too, like we're breaching the barriers of space travel. You know, in in the past couple months alone, uh, two very wealthy affluent people have have traveled up in their own private spacecraft and and done little short stints. Um, I'm not sure the extent of all those things, but but there's these amazing achievements that might be claimed by the human race. And so we have this sense that we're getting better, we're improving. We're, we're challenging. We're breaking the barriers. We're creatively always on some type of edge. I think, too, it's, uh, you know, we could talk about technology. I think it's it, nowadays it's cliche to say technology is rapidly advancing because it always is. It's almost a given. But I wonder, and if we're really honest with ourselves, is the quality of human life advancing at the same pace and rate? I'm not talking medically. I'm not talking about lifespan and, and and those kinds of things. I'm saying the quality of the human condition, person to person. Why aren't some of the social issues that we've had from the beginning of time, why aren't those advancing at a similar pace? Are they even advancing? I think some will give many different reasons for this. They'll say, oh, it's lack of awareness or it's lack of financial investment or or maybe they theorize or offer other philosophical or ideological rationales and reasons. But there are some certain social issues that have been present from day one, really, and they continue to this time. And yes, we go through seasons. We go through ebbs and flows. But certainly, there are some things that have hung around, racism being one of them, that just doesn't seem to improve. It just doesn't seem to go away. Now, if you're a Christian person, you and I understand the state of affairs for the world in its past, present, and future iterations in a different way. You see, as a Christian person, we understand that we're not advancing toward human utopia and ultimate heaven on earth kind of state. Instead, we understand that the world, humanity, and, and time are all approaching an appointed time. And in the course of our history, that there's actually a continual degradation and devolution that is happening, one that is spiritual in nature. And the ramifications of this, the, the side effects are not always visible, not always comprehended. And it seems to me, in my lifetime, what I see is these things are, are rumbling underneath surfaces and then they explode into the scene in certain moments. There's triggers, there's certain things, certain times when things just erupt. And we live in a, a sort of relative peace, but, but we have these hiccups, these moments, these earthquakes, these rumblings, and these things seem to be happening with increasing frequent, uh, uh, frequency and with greater damage that's happening. So in Christian theological systems, and that's just theological is a fancy way for saying, you know, our study or understanding of, of God and faith and human th uh, 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 religious things, in our theological system, we understand that this has to do with the depravity of humanity. The depravity of humanity is the fallenness, the brokenness, the, the inability of humankind to repair itself, to improve itself, to get better, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. 
So, so let me tell you, friends, things aren't getting better and they won't be getting better, no matter how much it may seem or how tempted we might be led to believe otherwise. I do think things abate for a while. They, they calm down, they settle down. And, and I think that this lulls us into a sense of, of apathy or distraction. And then we get surprised again. And we go, wait, we, th- we thought this was resolved. But in truth, it's been brewing something sinister under the surface. As a Christian person, what happens is there, there's typically two problems uh, because uh, we, we see this in our response as human beings and especially as Christian people. The first response uh, to, to racism and these kinds of things is a response of apathy. In other words, we understand things are bad. They're going to get worse. They won't get better. And I can do nothing about it. So I will do nothing about it. That's one, that's one response. That's one extreme. The other response goes to another extreme. And, you know, off the top of my head, I want to use the word militantism or maybe some other form of that word or, or ideology like nationalism. Although I, I don't know if those two words are entirely accurate or the best word choice, but I, I digress this. Uh, I've already gone on so far, right? You know, so, so it's something along that, that sense. It's, it's, maybe an anger or a, I'm trying to think of the counter to apathy, but, but it has to do with this sort of attitude. And it, to me, it's a sense of militantism. And so here we have two problem extremes for Christians. And, and this is where I think the world comes in and they're hypercritical of a Christian person because when the world experiences a Christian who, like me, says, Jesus is the solution to ending racism, but then they experience the typical, one of these two typical Christian responses, either the apathy or the anger, then there's all sorts of sinful hurt and pain that comes from that. And the world walks away first, not trusting Jesus really is a solution. And then they have more ammunition against Christians and against religion in general as being a solution to anything. I have some friends of mine who say, hey, Rev, religion causes more problems than it solves. Sometimes they might be right. So, okay, Rev, you've managed to talk yourself in a corner. Now what? Jesus is the solution to racism, you say, in one breath. And in another breath, you admit and confess that Christian people, the people who claim to love and follow Jesus, regularly mess things up and usually end up doing more damage than good with acting out these extremes. So what do we do? Well, first, how is Jesus the solution? Because truthfully, Jesus stands apart. He is apart. It's, it's, it's different. And I could say, friend, books and books have been written on these subjects. And there's people wiser than me that have clearer things to say. Uh, probably in a future podcast, I'm going to have some of my friends who I know are in this arena and, and they're wrestling with these things day after day after day. I'm going to invite them to come in and say more on this. But I just want to say that I think in the same way that people believe football to be a great leveler amongst people, in the same way that we say football is a global game, the common game, the common language, and it's it's true, right? We can drop a football in any part of the world, and most of the world's going to understand the game, know the game, and they're going to know how to play. We're going to be able to talk, play, enjoy something together without necessarily speaking the same language or having the same skin color or ethnicity or cultural backgrounds or other divisive things. 
I think there's similar feelings about church, about faith. You know, sometimes you could you could walk into a, a, a parish or a church around the world, and if you're familiar with uh, the, the liturgy, it leads you. If you're familiar with Christian faith, there's a sense in which you can make home and a people family no matter where you go. There's a globalness to it. There's a timelessness to it. But to offer a, a short answer here, and I know I'm going long, but we, we learn from the Apostle Paul when he writes to the church in Galatia in his letter, uh, chapters 3, verses 26 through 29, he writes this. So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What's Paul saying here? Well, the church in Galatia had been facing a particular issue that bordered along a, a, a line or a type of cultural racism. Jewish Christian people were stirring up trouble and saying that there were still Jewish cultural practices and traditions and laws that were binding on the people of God, whether you were Jewish or not. For the Christians that had, had come into the camp, so to speak, those who were of Jewish origin were saying, yeah, but you still got to follow these things. And so Paul, who was Jewish himself, addresses the church and he teaches, look, the law has been fulfilled in Jesus. There's been a fulfillment of the promise that was made to Abraham. And that promise now extends into the Gentile camp. Uh, this would have been radical and earth-shaking for, for Jewish people to hear. Salvation happens in Jesus. And so Paul's writing and he says, look, the promise, the promise of salvation, these things, it's not based on ethnic identity. It's not Jew and Gentile. It's not based on socioeconomic identity or, or role back then, slave or free. It's not even based on gender identity, male and female. It, Paul writes and he says the base of, of salvation, the grabbing hold of the promises are based solely on one's relationship with Jesus and your identity with him. So just to kind of create a, an example, an illustration in the Italy-England final, right, there were two shirts in the stadium that day, each one identifying the team, the country, the nation being supported. With Paul's example, it would have been like the final whistle blows and everyone in the ground that day and watching on TV have a bag next to them and they take another kit out of the bag and they put it on and each one has the same color, the same look, the same badge, and that was the badge of Jesus. Paul saying that Italy, England is no longer a divide. We're all one. We're on the same team in Christ. So second thing, how does Jesus as a solution get worked out by Christian people today? How do we do that, Rev? What's the practical outworking? I'm, I, you know, it's one thing to say Jesus is a solution. And I think it's very easy as a pastor, as a, a preacher, using a podcast, being a chaplain, it's easy to say cliche things, but how does it get worked out? You know, it's fine and dandy to say Jesus is a solution, and he may well be, but what do you do when you've got people who live between the extremes or on the extremes of apathy and anger, apathy and militantism? 
Well, in spiritual formation practice, and, and this is the work of Christian discipline and discipleship, we often refer to something that, that we call the third way or the middle way of Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus and his activity here on earth before his death and resurrection, we see Jesus living into this third way, and, and the third way is marked exclusively by love. We see Jesus loving the Samaritan woman at the well, someone whom Jesus could have treated very differently and according to the custom of his day. In fact, it wouldn't have been considered racist or gender discriminating if he had completely ignored the woman, not said a word to her. That would have been fine. That was acceptable. Even in his dialogue with the woman, the Samaritan woman differs theologically and ideologically from him. She's, she's a little contentious if you read that. Yet Jesus shows her love, firmness at times, but love nonetheless. And Jesus demonstrates this over and over and over again with Gentile persons, with, with Roman soldiers, tax collectors, people of ill repute, time and time again. If you and I make a study of Jesus and his interactions with people, we will see this third way this way of love. It plays out in Jesus's life. And if, if we truly love and follow him, it will expose the places in us as Christian people that need change. The things in us that need transformation, the things in us that need reformation. The Apostle Paul, again, he writes to the church in Corinth this time, and in what has become a familiar passage, we hear this at weddings sometimes. It's, it's largely out of place there. As chapter 13, known as the love chapter, is, is really more about other relationships than just a marriage relationship. It, it can include that, but it's more than that. And Paul begins, uh, chapter 13, right before it begins, he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And Paul goes on to give example after example of a life lived, but those lives lived without love, no matter the great achievement or accomplishment or sacrifice or altruistic living, if you do any of that without love, that life is without purpose and is, is without meaning. Love. Not, not, a, not an I love candy. Not an I love football kind of thing. Not an I love my wife or I'm in love with, with my girlfriend. Not any of that is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a love that is Christ-originated and Christ-oriented and is that most excellent third way of living life. And this is what the Christian person is to strive for. It's, it's not a love in our own power or in our own ability. No, the love that's being talked about by Paul is something that is divinely infused. It cannot originate. It does not originate within ourselves. It comes from God. It is cultivated as we cultivate our life with God. It is, it is born within us. It is grown within us as our relationship with Jesus begins and as it grows. Friends, racism in all of its forms and fashions is with us to stay. It will not totally be eradicated until Jesus comes again. I promise you this. But for Christian people, our call is to stand and stem the tide, not with an attitude of apathy and not with an angry militantism, but with a lifelong learning and leaning into this third way, this way of love that we see and learn 
from Jesus's life and leading. And that, my friends, is the only solution that I know. And if I'm sitting across from Devo and he's saying, look, I don't have a solution for this, I would tell him, look him straight in the eyes. And I would say, look, buddy, here is a solution. Not that I get it right. Not that Christian people have gotten it right. We've, we've screwed it up a lot of times, but we, we have to keep striving. We have to keep talking about it. I, I, I don't want you to walk away from the pod being discouraged. I don't want you to walk away from seeing what's gone on at the Euro final and falsely believe, hey, you know what? Things will just get brighter. They're going to get better. Not on their own. And certainly not without Jesus. So again, I apologize for being late and going long today. I confess, though, we've not even scratched the surface of this. But I want to reassure you that this is something worth talking about. And there is a solution. It's Jesus. In conclusion, I want to close this with a prayer. Oh, Jesus, teach us what it is to love. To love our fellow humanity, those with different skin color, different culture, different belief, different everything. Teach us to walk in the third way, the middle way. For those that have suffered from our sins of abuse, from words and violence, from deeds done and even from apathies and things we've left undone, forgive us. Make us new. May we learn the patience, kindness, the non-envy, non-boasting, non-proud, non-rude, non-self-seeking, not easily angered form of agape love so that we might rest and rise in your power and grace and in the footsteps of you we might humbly walk amongst our world with grace. We ask in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Friend, thanks for listening. This is Rev Brad coming to you from the Touchline.